Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. And today, we are here to recap a second straight crushing loss to the NC State Wolfpack. The Toriels dropped to 9-3 on the season. Two bad losses to end this 2022 regular season that looked like it was going so well and now so many questions about the direction that Carolina is heading in there's an important question that we will talk about at the end of this podcast that a lot of people were talking about after this loss and it's one that I think with as many people that are conversating back and forth about it, it has to be asked. Well, we'll talk about that, but let's just talk about this game and and jump in to another game that Carolina seemed to... I mean, this one clearly wasn't like last year. Carolina didn't control this game the majority of the way in the fourth quarter, but still a chance for Carolina to pull out a victory, very similar to last week, and yet they come up short uh, to an NC State team that had a fourth-string quarterback in there. Um, Clearly wasn't as good of a night defensively as they probably wanted uh, with what Carolina was able to do in the fourth quarter. But yet again, Carolina just cannot find a way to win. And now uh, it's uh, you got to ask the question, does Carolina have a problem winning at home? Somehow they go undefeated away from Keenan Stadium, but inside of the friendly confines, they go 3-3. Three and three. Uh, So it just seems like every time that Carolina football feels like they're correcting one thing, there is another problem that pops up. And who knows, maybe... I'm supposed to maybe we're supposed to be happy that this team has won nine games, but at this point, it's it's it feels it's pretty difficult to feel like that's that's where we're at at this point. Yeah, I, I think the thing is is that you know, <clears throat> I told you all all season long the level of play wasn't sustainable to to equate to wins. 
And I I just don't think we saw the, the losses that happened at the end of the season happening to the teams that they happened to. Had they happened at Duke, at Wake Forest, maybe more justified defeats at home to teams that were down to their third and fourth string quarterbacks um, wasn't wasn't a part, you know, of, 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 of the plan. And, you know, while this team does does get to play for a conference championship next next week, your hope and belief that they were going to compete with with the 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 program that has dominated this league for almost a decade now is not where it was three weeks ago. I mean, before going into Georgia Tech, many people around the ACC and the country thought you could beat Clemson. There's no way you can really actively believe that going in, going into that game now, because of what's happened at home in back-to-back weeks. And um, you know, one of the things that's that's hard about this is you got to credit NC State, you got to credit the job that Dave Doran did with the fourth-string quarterback and keeping his guys bought in. Um, this game felt like a lot what you saw in this rivalry under Larry Fedora, where the game didn't mean as much to us as it meant to them. There wasn't the same level of emotion, the same level of physicality that we saw from the opponent. And Carolina just never simply found their footing in the game. And, you know, it's 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 hard to ask college kickers over and over again to win you games or keep you in games. And kicker missed two big kicks tonight, and Carolina falls, falls short for the second straight year in heartbreaking fashion against a team we hate the most. Yeah, the team you should have beat both times. Team that's not good. Um, that's not a good football team on the other side that beat you tonight. They proved that because you had a chance late in the game to be able to beat them despite having 182 yards of offense in the entire game coming into the fourth quarter, and you couldn't do it. Um, you know, again, it's just there's two losses at the end of the season that are terrible. But I, what I think it is is that Carolina just got beat a second time by the game they played last week. You were not able to bounce back in the way that we thought this team was going to be able to. And it's, you know, it's guys that we had counted on throughout the entire season. And we thought they were going to be able to bounce back. But this team just wasn't, they weren't ready for tonight. Um, And and I I, I don't really know what to say. I don't know if that's, I mean, the coaching staff has to be, you know, share, sharing the blame. Uh, but it's it's on the players as well. They did not have the ability to rally like we thought they would be able to. They did it after the game against Notre Dame and turned their season back in the right direction. But that loss to Georgia Tech, that was what we were afraid of, that that loss would be bad enough where it would affect the mindset of this team. And now, I, I think much like you saw back in 2016, this is a team that could very well finish the season with a 9-5 and five record, and you will point back to one game as the game that simply turned everything in the wrong direction. And and what's what's scary is is that, I, I look, you, if you would have told me that Georgia Tech, maybe not Georgia Tech, but if you would have told me State beat them, I would have said, okay, they probably lost in a track meet, right? I think the shocking part is the way that Carolina has lost each of these last two games. How bad this offense has looked at times. I mean, there were, up until that fourth quarter, it was pretty much seven straight quarters of bad offensive football. Mm-hmm. I know they hit the home run in that fir- in, in the first quarter in the game against Georgia Tech, but 
offensively, that entire game, they struggled to really move the ball consistently. And that carried over into this game. I know people want to get on Phil Longo, but I don't really know how you can. This It just looked like a team that did not have the ability to shake off what happened to them last week. Well, you mentioned you know last week beating you twice. That's why whenever you see the graphics of Nick Saban, Ryan Day, Davo Sweeney, the elite coaches, and how those teams don't lose back-to-back games – that's like we we should really be a lot more mindful of that because what those teams and programs are doing is rare, and it really comes down to a culture standpoint where it's just something in Carolina's culture where it seems like every time these type of losses happen, they can't overcome them. Simply put, Carolina got beat tonight because they're not as good up front as NC State is. Carolina got overwhelmed uh, by State's defensive line. And, and our defensive line just had absolutely nothing. And you gave time to a fourth-string quarterback to get comfortable, get confident, and, and make the throws that he had to make to, to give State a chance on offense. And um, it's, it's, it's really frustrating. It, it's really – I think the thing is that it's more – it's just deflating because you're 9-3 and three. – you did a lot of good things. I mean, where we thought this team was coming into the year, if we, I mean, we would have taken nine and three in August. I had this team going six and six, seven and five at best. They exceeded my expectation, but it's how you got to nine and three, and and now what you're looking at is potentially nine and four. And then you know, bowl games are always just a question mark with you know who's going to play and. It really the mo- the more invested team usually win those, and Carolina's not going to be in a New Year's Six bowl game. They're not. I mean, they might be in El Paso, which is it still means a lot because how old that bowl game is. But I mean, outside of that, like you know, you're not even going to be playing for really anything meaningful in the postseason. It looks like, and and so I think that's just where it is. Is that. You know, on the surface, they did a lot of good things. Mac Brown's got us back in the ACC title game, so he 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 delivered on that promise and that belief that that we could get back there. But there's still a gap between us and some other teams in the conference that just shouldn't exist in year four with a guy like Mac Brown leading the program. Yeah, and it's how they you know it's when they lost these games too. If you would have lost two games earlier in the season. But close the season strong, won the ACC Coastal, and be such a different feeling. Where now, and this is the thing, is now it's it's hard to not envision this snowballing. Because, yeah, it's going to take a lot next week for this team to come in here and win. Who knows? Maybe they do because they seem to like to play away from Chapel Hill this year. I, I, don't, I don't get why, but maybe that's what, what has to happen. But right now... You know, this offense just isn't in a rhythm, and I think that's the biggest issue that Carolina is facing right now. Look, 351 yards of total offense, you would say, okay, not a terrible night. They still had more yards of total offense than NC State, but the problem is is that the majority of those yards came in the fourth quarter. They only had 182 total yards through the first three, and they only averaged 3.9 yards per play on 89 snaps. So Carolina had their opportunities, but this offense is completely out of rhythm. Your play caller is struggling right now. The red zone offense, not great. Although the two red zone trips that you took tonight that you didn't end up scoring on 
were the missed field goals. Everything else, whenever you got in the red zone, you did score, but it just it wasn't as easy. I just I don't know. It's hard to figure out what exactly is wrong. I think a lot of it has to be on the offensive line, though. I, I just the way that they have played over the past really three weeks, because even in the game against Wake Forest, they had some moments, but they at least gave Drake May time in that game. In this game and in last week's game against Georgia Tech, this offensive line has not given him any time to throw. He has definitely developed a happy feet whenever he has been under pressure. And look, you got to give him a ton of credit because on that final drive, he made the plays that he had to to give Carolina the chance to win the game in overtime. But this offensive line right now, it, it this the, fat, the with how bad they are struggling, it, it looks a lot like last year's offense. Way too many negative plays leading to you have to having to make big plays down the field. And when those big plays aren't there. Carolina is not able to move the field, move the ball down the field. Yeah, there's no doubt that this offensive line has regressed the last two weeks, and it's not just one guy; it's all five of them. They're all five struggling with communication. They're getting overpowered, and and when when they're in pass pro, and they're just not getting to the second level in run blocking. And for the first time all season long, the last two weeks, your redshirt freshman quarterback looked like a redshirt freshman. And I think that's probably as just as surprising as anything else because had he looked, had he looked like this at App State, Georgia State, Notre Dame, wouldn't have been surprised. It was the early part of his career. It was the latter part of uh, of, of his of his fresh uh, fre- retro freshman season. There's no doubt that the Heisman talk became a distraction and it, and it overwhelmed him individually, the team and the program collectively. But it was just. It was just the 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 perfect storm of everything coming to a halt at the at at the wrong time for Carolina, and as much as the defense kept them in the game today and last week, it's still not a defense that can win you games when this offense isn't scoring at the the, the volume we expect it to. And so the onus is going to be on Phil Longo and this staff to figure out in the next week how to get him back in rhythm, how to reinstall confidence in the five guys up front. Um, Josh Down and Antoine Green really struggled today to first first uh, f- catch the football, secondly create separation for Drake May to find them down the field. And and so, I, you know, I think it was just a, it, it, it was just everything going wrong at the wrong time. And this team, because of the way that they were winning all season long, they're not built to to let one area kind of carry them. You know, the defense isn't good enough to carry them when the offense isn't doing what it's supposed to do. And with that, you lose at home to two teams you shouldn't have lost at home to. Well, the, I, with Drake May, it's it's as simple as his offensive line is letting him down. He's also missing throws and not seeing the field, though. But a lot of that is because of his offensive line. It's the same. It is the same team. These last two weeks, it's the same team as last year. It is the it, your your quarterback is under an immense amount of pressure, and yeah, once I mean it's hard to get into any sort of rhythm when you're dropping back and within two seconds you are having to tuck the ball and run to try to either you know pick up yards or extend the play. And the last two weeks, it's it's been it's been that exact same 
same issue. And I, I just I don't understand what has changed from earlier in the year because you had teams that blitz the hell out of you in the middle of the season. And this offensive line was able to handle it. Now they are completely falling apart. And it's at the wrong time of the year, and it's it's holding this offense back. I mean, look, you have I mean the amount of plays early in the game in that first half of no yards or negative yards was unbelievable. I, it's and that was the thing I thought Carolina for the most part all season long did such a great job of avoiding. Last year there were so many of them. It got you in these third down and long situations and you, again, you had a quarterback that at times would make some spectacular plays to keep drives going. And for Drake May this year, you know, there have been times where he's had to do that, but I thought, you know, for the majority of the year, Carolina did a really good job of limiting the amount of negative plays that they've had. As the year has gone along, you've started to see him stack up, but it has really come to a boil here over these last couple of weeks. And look, tonight he only takes two sacks, but you still allow nine tackles for loss. That's tied for the second most in a game this season. So, you know, it's 21 in the last two weeks. It's just, it's not going to work like that. And you can see it translating with with third downs. That's an area where Carolina has been extremely successful so far this year, and that was in large part due to the fact that they were in third and medium, third and short. Well, the last two weeks, they're 9 of 34 on third downs because they're in so many third and longs. They're behind the sticks, and we we saw it again tonight, 5 for 20 on third downs. It's just not going to cut it. This offense, like you said, the receivers did not create separation tonight. That's something that we saw that was an issue a year ago. The running game wasn't there consistently. Again, it was there early in the game. I thought Carolina did a good job of kind of allowing Elijah Green to carry them a little bit in that first half when Drake May was still struggling. But in the second half, it disappeared. And part of that is because the offensive line didn't block well. The other part of it is that I don't think Carolina, I don't understand why they are not rotating more running backs in the game. I I get it. I think Elijah Green has done some good things, but I don't get the strategy of wanting to use just one running back. I mean, he took 24 carries tonight, and he had some effective carries, but it feels like if you were rotating a little bit more, maybe that would allow you to be even more successful because it would keep your guy fresh back there. So the the offense falling apart at this time in the season is, I, I mean, it's nobody saw this coming. I, there was nobody. I, 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 and again, I think you would agree with me on this. The thing that we were most concerned about with this team late in the year was this team was going to have their defense fall apart. And look, I don't think their defense has been perfect over the last couple of weeks. But I don't know. Again, tonight, I thought the defense made the plays at least late in the game. They didn't do it last week. They didn't get off the field last week on that final drive. Tonight, I felt like in the fourth quarter, after they let NC State, you know, reach, you know, take the lead again, I-, I thought Carolina did a really good job defensively of giving themselves a chance to win the game. Yeah, it's just. I, I don't know. I, I think we're just 
we're we're at a loss for words because we didn't see this type of offensive implosion coming. And you know, defensively, like like Carolina's defense kept them in the game, right? Like we can sit here and say that, but they also weren't good enough to make the one or two plays we need them. We needed them to make tonight or last night, whether it was a turnover, you know, a game changing sack to to switch momentum. And so it was just something. Mac Brown said it last week. This team, despite being nine and three, went twelve games and never played a complete game. They played quarters. And for the most part, because the ACC Coastal was an absolute train wreck, as it always was, that was good enough to win you games nine different times this year. But in November, when the games matter most and these teams have as much film on you as possible and... You know, team, everything it just everything is different in college football in November. Crazy things happen, and Carolina was never able to put together a complete game, and it came back to bite them. I'll we'll look back at this year, no matter even if they win their bowl game and get to ten wins, and wonder why this team could never recapture what happened in the second half against Pittsburgh, because I. I thought that was the best version of this team we saw all all year. That second half, the last 22 minutes, they dominated the opponent. Mm -hmm. And I I kept telling you all season long that the reason why I didn't believe Carolina was this this good, whatever this is, was because they lacked an ability to overpower their opponent. They did in that game. And... Even though we knew it wasn't going to happen against Wake Forest the way we play them, you had a chance in in these last two games to overpower an overmatched opponent, and you weren't able to do so. And so now Mac Brown will enter this offseason looking back at these two games and wondering why that wasn't the case. Because that's ultimately why they 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 didn't win these last two weeks. Because you had the you had Georgia Tech down seventeen nothing and couldn't put them away. Well, guess what? Good football teams, teams that are championship caliber, they put Georgia Tech away. In a game like this, it's a rivalry game. You kind of throw a lot of stuff out of the window, but you still should find ways at home to beat a team starting a fourth string quarterback. It didn't happen, and, and that's why we'll now enter championship week with mixed emotions going into that matchup against Clemson. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you mentioned the game against Pittsburgh. One of the things Carolina did was they were able to get pressure on the quarterback. They need, they still didn't get pressure on the quarterback again tonight. And part of that, I, I, I think there, there are questions that we have to ask ourselves about this defense. One is why have the blitzes disappeared? Because they blitzed in the middle of the season. They did it against Duke. That's part of the reason they were able to make that stop that allowed them to get the ball back and drive the ball down the field for the game-winning touchdown. Mm -hmm. They did it all, I mean, pretty much the entire second half of that game against Pittsburgh. And for, you know... To a certain extent, they did it against Wake Forest. It wasn't working. So late in the game, they kind of backed out of it. But it they, they did enough to win that game. I thought these last two weeks, they did not blitz nearly at all. And you don't have a defensive line that is good enough to get to the quarterback. We, nope. we have been asking that. Look, Mac Brown has said, we need to win one-on-one matchups on the defensive line. Well, it's not happening. It's still not happening. There's one guy that is winning 
and I don't even know if it's at 50%. There is one player that is winning battles one-on-one real, for Carolina on the defensive line, really at all, and that's Kamen Rucker. Other than that, nobody else has been able to win up front on pass rushing situations. That's why I don't understand why the blitzes have disappeared. The other thing that I don't understand, and you know, we've talked about this, and it doesn't seem like you're quite on the same page as me with this. I don't understand why this team plays so much zone. I it it does not make any sense to me. It doesn't if it's zone, if it's off man, whatever it is, I do not understand the thought behind playing so far off of receivers over and over again. I understand that your safeties aren't great, but this team has proven, the guys at corner have proven, that they are much better in in, in tight man coverage than playing off of receivers because the majority of the guys cannot tackle and... You know, the other thing is, is you have just given these guys way too many yards. I saw a tweet earlier tonight from Ryan Switzer, the former Tar Heel receiver, and he brought up a great point. These dudes are playing eight yards off of guys and backpedaling on fourth and four. How does that make any sense? Why would you be backpedaling when a team needs four yards unless a dude is running a go route down the field? It does not make any sense. And I think it's got to leave a lot of other people scratching their heads, not just us, because, I mean, look, I know maybe that is not the strategy that Gene Chizik is used to playing, but you have a group that is recruited to be able to play man coverage on the outside. And I thought when they did it tonight, even without Tony Grimes, who didn't play in the game, and Storm Duck, who left the game and got banged up, I thought with legend Cavazos, and with Marcus Allen, I thought when Carolina was at their best, they were playing tight man-to-man defense. I think the reason why is they can play man-to-man defense for a play, two plays. Can they play consistent enough to where that becomes what you do defensively? No. Absolutely not. They can't play in zone. And what so, have they proven to you in zone all year? Uh, Nothing. Well, I think Gene Chizik's philosophy is if we can keep everything in front of us. Well, that that sure as hell didn't work. So, it, I mean, it, it definitely, a lot of it is the, the lack of production you're getting from your safeties. And, you know, in this era of football, you're not going to show me a good defense without a game changer at safety. And Carolina doesn't have one and hasn't had one for quite some time. And, and so, you know, look, I thought Stormed Up before he got hurt tonight played really well. And I think the guys that came yep. in, I thought Marcus Allen made one of the best plays we've seen a corner make all year long, blowing up a play, uh, a, a, a play on the edge and dropping a receiver for a five-yard loss. Legend Cavazos has made some really nice plays in, the, in his limited time on the field. But I think it comes back to what Mac Brown said to where we play in spurts. And so I think that's something where they just know internally that they can't do it for four quarters. They can do it for a few plays here and there, and that it's just easier to drop everybody back, keep the ball in front of you, and go let Cedric Gray and Power Eccles make every play they got to make. Because it's it's, virtually, it's been those two guys virtually all season long. And in terms of the defensive line, it's two things. First off, these guys aren't all that talented. They're not as good as that ranking that is said in the recruiting world. 
And then it's just the other the other fact that Tim Cross is no longer the right guy to lead that position group because we've seen other defensive line coaches get more with less talent, and we're not getting that with what we believe is to be more talent. And that's got to be uh, a thing that when Mac Brown looks back and evaluates this season because he's told us for four years we got to win up front, and for four years that hasn't happened. You've changed the personnel. You've got better players. You got to change the guy that's coaching them because that message isn't getting heard in the locker room. And, and you got to change the dude that's in that's in the weight room. Look, man, oh, I agree with that look, too. Brian Hess seems like a, a a nice guy. Seems like a dude that that a lot of the guys like for his intensity. But here's the thing, man. What, what up front? Your defensive line, your offensive line. Everything for those guys starts in January, February when they hit that weight room. That's where it all starts. And these guys are not being built right. I got to tell look, it's a combination of the two. I don't understand how Tim Cross is still employed with this team. Um, because this defensive line is as bad of a defensive line as we have seen at getting to the quarterback. I mean, they did not have a sack again tonight. That means they had eight sacks in eight conference games. They, for, for comparison, Georgia Tech had six sacks a week ago against Carolina. I, I mean, it's, I, I just, and Carolina has played some really bad offensive lines. Mm-hmm. It's not like every other offensive line in this conference is great, and Carolina just cannot find a way to get to the quarterback. But the thing is, I mean, Gene Chizik, he's he's got to be helping. At this point, if you're Gene Chizik, this is the one thing I will give Jay Bateman credit for. I thought last year, as the season progressed, he got away from it, and I think that's what really hurt him. But when we saw this defense have success in 2020, it was because they just blitzed the hell out of teams. Why did why did that stop for Gene Chizik? I don't I don't understand it. Like, do they not trust the secondary that much? Or yes, because I, the the biggest issue we had with blitzing was how many times were Eccles and Gray getting home? They weren't. And so, if you're not getting home, you're putting a secondary. Well, I thought against Pittsburgh they did. Man, that was the difference. Keaton Slovis was under so much pressure in that second half; it really changed things. That was the only so, time, though, because and look, Sam Hartman's a different quarterback. But, you know, if you go back and you look at – you you blitzed Brennan Armstrong and look what happened. You, you didn't get home. You got carved up. Did they up. really blitz? I felt like you, you, in that you, game they got away from it a little bit. They went back to it against Wake. But these last two weeks, it's felt like they have rarely tried – it has been way too much – Two uh, of just three, they're even dropping some of their D linemen into coverage, you know, which is, just doesn't make sense. So I, I think that's part of it is that you, you you don't trust your guys on the back end to hold up, and your the the biggest thing he wanted to eliminate was giving up big plays because that was the thing that Jay Bateman's defense just could not avoid. That team gave up big play after big play after big play. We knew upon hiring him, his philosophy was, look, we're going to let you go from the 20 to the 20, but then we're going to cramp down and make you earn everything inside the 20. And, you know, for the most part, it it worked. 
you know, in terms of you, you winning nine games or you won your division title and all that. But in in moments where you needed this defense to pick up your offense, they they weren't able to do so. And it wasn't it's kind of unfair to ask them to do so, but that's what comes back to this being a a team that played incomplete all season long. And, and that's gotta be that's gotta be the thing that Mac Brown has to fix moving forward because it hasn't been just this year. That's been a four year thing. It's every it's every Every single year, it's the same thing. It's it, I, I mean, how no how many times you look at in the last four years, this team played a complete game against Power Five op- opponents. It's very rare, and that's got to be the thing for Carolina to take that next step as a program. That's got to be the thing that they fix because until they fix that. You might win eight, nine games every year, but you're never going to get over that proverbial hump we've been trying to get over for since Mac Brown left the first time. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're you're right about that because I mean, even in overtime, you go you go to overtime. Uh, Carolina's defense holds them to two field goals. I thought they played really well in overtime, and the offense kind of went back into. You know the mode that they were in earlier in the game. I thought that the game, the, the the play calling was conservative, and it ended up hurting Carolina. And ultimately, it leads to a kick to try to tie the game back up to send it into a third overtime, and Noah Burnett misses, and he missed two field goals tonight. Um, somebody pointed out that we probably shouldn't have had to count on him as much because he was a guy that hadn't really kicked a whole lot for this team throughout the season. I get that. The other part of it is that as a Power 5 kicker, you should be able to make kicks inside of 40 yards. They should be automatic. And that hasn't happened. And it's not just him. That has not happened for Carolina since Nick Weiler left. This is a legitimate issue. Carolina, coming into this season, had the most missed kicks since 2016 of any Power 5 team. And now tonight, it seems like this is a yearly thing that Carolina always has a game where it comes back to, maybe it's not all on the kicker, but in some way, the kicker is involved in Carolina losing a game. It's it's been that way the entire time, it seems, under Mac Brown. And once again, the kicking issues rear their ugly head in this one and it's it it leads to a crushing blow. I don't I don't really know what the solution is though because Carolina's tried to offer, you know, guys to to you know, not have to be they've given away uh scholarship offers. They've tried many different things at the kicker position. But it, they it just since Nick Weiler has left it has not been the same. <laughs> I mean, the the first thing is to not to not have to ask your kickers to make kicks, but that's part of it. It's something that Mac Brown has addressed that we got to be better in special teams. I mean, that's been the one area he hasn't been afraid to make changes. And I mean, before tonight, I thought that was the area that they were really good in. But I thought the special teams as a whole had a rough night, man. I didn't think Ben Kiernan was great. I thought he outpunted his coverage a few times, but the kicking, man. I I thought he was solid for most of the year. I know he he had missed a couple, but I don't think we saw that coming. Nope, we didn't. And you know, it's 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 really 
it's really unfortunate because there's nothing better to tweet while watching a college football Saturday than hashtag college kickers until that tweet is about one of your own. And you look, he, he missed a couple of important kicks, ones that you know he'll probably think of for the rest of his life when he looks back on his, his tenure as, as, a, as a college kicker. And, and you know it's 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 really unfortunate. Um, it's one of the reasons why though Mac Brown's been so aggressive at times going forward on fourth down was to not put his kicker in that situation, which was a sign that as much trust and faith as he had in Drake May, that was probably him telling us in between the lines we don't have the utmost faith in this guy, you know, to to, to knock us in a forty-five yard field goal at the twenty-eight and it's fourth and four. We might as well just go for it. And, you know, I, I think tonight you, you saw why. He, he missed two kicks and, um, you know, Carolina doesn't, you know, that doesn't benefit from that. But it, it's something that, <laughs> you know, Mac Brown said the other day he's going to be looking at everything in the portal. Well, find you some safeties, find you some defensive linemen, and find you, find you another field goal, Jesus. Because like you mentioned, since Nick Weiler left and pretty much since he made the kick at Florida State in 2016, it doesn't feel like... Like Tar Heel kickers have been all that kind to us the last six, seven years. Yeah, it's the statistics kind of tell you all you need to know about that. That every year it's going to pop up at least once, and it's it, you got to get it solved. Because as you said, Mac Brown has made that a point. I mean, look, he has had three special teams coaches in four years. Clearly, he has not been pleased with what he has seen, and you know, again this year it felt like. It, things were going pretty well, um, he, but you're you're right. When you look back at it, how much trust was there actually in him? Was that the reason why Carolina was so aggressive at times, to just go for it rather than kicking field goals? It had to be that or Sparky Woods and that damn analytic notebook telling him you might as well go for it, well, Mac. He, okay, well, here's the thing. There's two plays that a lot of people have questions about. We'll, we'll start with the one at the end of regulation – and in high, again, hindsight is always twenty twenty with these types of situations. After the game, you're always going to say, yeah, they probably should have gone for it when they lose. If they win, you'll say, yep, they made the right decision. At the end of regulation, should they have gone for two? No. I thought they should have. Nope. I, I think you would run that two consecutive plays down there that had worked. Really three because Josh Downs was open in the end zone. You just missed him. I, I I thought being aggressive at that point would have made some sense to me to try to end that game, get out of there with a win. But at the same time, you decide not to go for it. I didn't. To to me, either way, I could have lived with with what they did. They get it to overtime. Your defense did what it was supposed to do. But then some people are having an issue with them kicking the field goal to try to tie the game at 30. Did you have a, an issue with that? Keep in mind that the distance was fourth and four that they would have had to convert. Well, first off, they they should have not gone for two. Uh, they should have played for overtime because we played college football for 152 years. Conventional wisdom tells you in that, in, in that position where you're at home, you score with what, two seconds on the clock? You play for overtime because if you believe in momentum, momentum's going to carry over in overtime, you're going to win the game. They made the right decision in terms of playing for overtime. Fourth and four? 
I thought it was I thought it was too long. If it was fourth and two, I may have gone for it. It, it I mean, like in in October, it was a no brainer. Hell yeah, you're going for it because this offense was doing whatever it wanted to whatever defense it faced. True. True. But on the flip side, like even if you make the field goal there, you're now running two point conversions to determine a winner and a loser. And we've seen how chaotic those have been. And it's not like Carolina's offense from the two yard line's been overly efficient this year. So I I think I think the fact that they chose to go to, to kick the field goal shows you where they were in terms of trusting that offensive line to hold up for Drake May to make the throw. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's what it was. That was Mac Brown telling you, I don't trust my offensive line. We need to go kick the field goal. And, and, and so, if I was playing the game on a video game, I would have kicked the field goal. So, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I think they made, ultimately in the end, they probably made the two right decisions. But, I, I mean... To me, I think everything that you said about how chaotic overtimes are now, which is a whole different discussion. I I, I still cannot believe that after two overtimes they go straight to the two point conversions. That that is, to me, that is that is gimmicky. It's stupid. At that rate, just go to them after once you get into overtime. Everything else is just a waste of time. But the here's the the ultimate solution for Carolina would have been, hey, your defense held them to a field goal in the opening possession of the second overtime, you need to go down and score. Yep. It all goes back to this offense not being great at the end of the season. And again, a lot of that comes back to the offensive line. A lot of it comes back to the receivers not being able to create separation. There are still people that were extremely critical tonight of Phil Longo. I, I, I just, I don't... The only issue that I had with his game plan tonight, I thought they should have tried to throw the ball with, you know, try to get the ball out quick on, you know, a couple of short patterns. Just something to try to not have to deal with that pressure after two, three seconds. But ultimately, I didn't think there was that you could have much of an issue with the game plan because here's the thing even with that strategy, if you're looking to try to screen a lot, well, they tried that last week and that didn't work. I mean, it, I know people really, really like to find any excuse to go after Phil Longo. But to me, I think the offensive side of the ball, it's just a lack of execution. And that was on display yet again in overtime. The thing you'll learn about play callers is they call plays when they're confident, and when they're not confident, it it also impacts their play calling. He wasn't confident in his offense to execute what he wanted to get done. He didn't trust his offensive line. He didn't trust Drake May to make the right reads, make the right throws, because he wasn't seeing the field. So that impacts... Can, and can you blame him? It, it impacts the way he called the game, and... Effectively, what it made him do was it made him think. The thing that he was so good at this year was the game was coming so easy, he wasn't overthinking it. He was just looking at the matchups he was given, calling the right plays, making the right adjustments, you know, during the game in at halftime. And this offense just moved up and down the field. And then once their offensive line started to struggle, 
and his quarterback lost confidence. He lost confidence in his offense, and you know the only thing I got frustrated with was we just quit trying to throw the ball on first down. We came kind of predictable where we were going to run the ball up the middle, and sometimes we would gain four yards, sometimes we'd gain two yards, sometimes we'd lose four or two yards. But I mean, outside of that, like he still did everything he had to do to give his team a chance. Given all the issues on offense with his offensive line, quarterback, wide receivers, only really using one running back in the ball game, and so you know, was he great today? No. Was he the biggest issue in today's game? No. no. It's it's still it's a lack of execution to me, and it all starts with that offensive line. And I think Jack McNeil Jr. has done a great job of making that a serviceable unit for the majority of the season. But the fact of the matter is, is that that's a group that needs to find better talent. Like, you you saw it. I think I think Awesome Richards is about the, the best example. First nine games of the season, Awesome Richards was, was awesome. He, he, was an all, he was an all-conference player. No. These last three weeks, he has not been awesome. <laughs> he has been ass. There is no, I mean, there's no other way around it. He's been awesome, Richards. He has been, te- I mean, he has really fallen off these last <laughs> couple of weeks. It's been bad. And it has completely changed the way that Carolina has looked. So, I mean, I can't really be that critical of Phil Longo. Just like with Gene Chizik on the other side. And look, we're going to talk about this much more extensively after the season is over. And who knows how quickly they're going to make decisions. But, I mean, there's still staff changes that have to be made, especially on the defensive side of the football. I don't know about on the offensive side. I think that's more about just continuing to build talent, mainly on the offensive line. But I think, I mean, defensively, there, there are still changes that will have to be made. Well, one change that some people are wanting to make Mac Brown is the head coach. We have to talk about it when we come back on this edition of the podcast. Is Mac Brown still the right guy for the job? Because there were multiple people that were saying tonight showed them that he is not. What do me and Josh think about that? We'll tell you right after this break on the Heel Tough Blog podcast back right after this. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. The reason why they have all these great ways that you can play with same-game parlays, easy and fast payouts, and player prop options. So if you want to bet on maybe even some of the former Tar Heels, how many rushing yards Michael Carter will have in a game for the Jets, you can do it all at DraftKingsSportsbook.com. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot, to win big. Guys, I've been using it to bet on my favorite team, even though they let me down this past week. The New York Giants, I've been betting on them all season long, and it has worked out well for me. I've been betting heavily on Saquon Barkley. Mike Kafka, can you please help me out and use him a little bit more this week? You can bet on your favorite team, even if it's the Carolina Panthers, 
at DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TPPN. Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the promo code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do everything, the articles, the podcast, all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter. At Heel Tough Blog on Twitter, make sure you give it a follow, and you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the Heel Tough Blog, at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pagnata, myself at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at Hack Zubber two for our recruiting analyst Zach Hubbard. Hey guys, welcome back in Heel Tough Blog podcast. Anthony Pagnata, Josh Marlowe with you guys. Well, the last thing that we have to ask you, and look, there are some people that are mad that this is even coming up on the podcast. I had one guy tell me that I am reaching for topics on the podcast just by having this even in the show, but I saw a really, really good amount of folks after the game that were conversating about this, and this is the reason that I put it in there. There are people asking the question right now whether or not Mac Brown is the right guy for the job at this point at North Carolina. And look, I I, I don't think you know we've seen this before. Um, you know, I, I most recently, you know, Roy Williams was in his retirement speech came out and said, "I just don't feel like I am the right guy for the job at this time." And to a certain extent, last year probably proved that he was right. And I think some people are wondering if this is the same thing that Carolina is going through with Mac Brown. Um, I this is this is a, a tough one for me to get on board with because this is a guy that has still won nine games this year, has still taken you to the ACC championship game. He, he's corrected some of the things that he wanted to correct this season. Now again. I said it earlier when we were, you know, entering the podcast. One of the concerning things is that it seems like a new problem has developed, as it always seems to happen around Tar Heel football. Now the question is: is is this team not just not able to consistently win at home? But there are a lot of people that have said tonight's game has given them, you know, some 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 questions as to whether or not Mac Brown is actually the guy that can lead Carolina moving forward. The reason the answer is still yes is who's who's out there better suited to get us realistically where we want to get to. Mac Brown is a hell of a recruiter. He's going to recruit players. He's also going to recruit fan base. He's going to recruit money. He's going to recruit donors. And he's going to do everything he needs to do off the field to give us the best chance we need to do on the field. There's no other guy out there that is going to make us respond the way we have responded to Mac Brown. Just, It's just evident. He's the one guy that makes it plausible to make us believe we can be something in football because there's 70 years of data that tells us 
That answer is no. You haven't won a conference championship in 42 seasons. You haven't won a meaningful bowl game in since the 1940s. He's the one guy that makes you believe that you can do that. And look, he got he has you playing for a conference championship next week. I know the steam's kind of run out of the engine here, but you're still going to be playing in Charlotte. There's going to be a bunch of other ACC teams that are better are better coached, have more talent than Carolina that simply aren't going to be playing in Charlotte next weekend. And, and so I, I think the the answer is still yes. But what we need from him to do is operate like a big-time football program. Because Nick Saban, Ryan Day, not going to say Dabo Sweeney because Dabo is a he's a he's a family guy. He likes to promote within. Wouldn't employ Tim Cross another game. Wouldn't employ Tommy Thigpen another game. The changes that have to be made on your staff need to be made for Mac Brown. And he needs to be able to look himself in the mirror and say, for us to take the next step, I've got to make those tough decisions. He's still got to continue to change the culture here. It's it's changing. You're getting more guys that are more invested. But this this team in year four still has a care factor. But he's still the right guy that can fix all those things that we have to fix to be the best version of a football program that we want to be when it's all said and done. And and so the answer is still yes. The, I mean, look, do we know that the, the clock is ticking and time run and time is running out on Mac Brown? Yeah. And he knows that as well. That's why we want to see that sense of urgency from him because for those of us that didn't get to experience Mac Brown 1.0 those people were left wondering, what if? We don't want to get done with the second experience of Mac Brown saying, what if? And that's, honestly, the response is, I mean, it's shocking to me. It's about 50-50. I asked, I asked the question expecting a lot of people to still say, yes, he's the right guy for the job. But it seems like, I mean, look, there's definitely a younger portion of the fan base that I think doesn't, you know, doesn't really even look at his first tenure. They're kind of thinking that we're seeing the same issues that we saw, you know, in the last three years. But there are also some fans that are older that are saying, well, this is exactly like the first time that he was here, and it it's it's not getting any better. I think you're you kind of hit the nail on the head with the fact that, hey, man, is there really anybody else that we know is going to do a better job? Because that's kind of where you got to be at if you're moving on from a coach that has won, that that is going to win nine games this year, guaranteed. Could win ten. He is or eleven. He he. Yeah, true. He is two years removed from taking the team to the Orange Bowl. I, I mean, it's I, it is really hard to get on that train right now. I, I just I think what this year did is look, he, he did what he had to do this year. What I don't know if a lot of us thought he was going to be able to do this year. I mean, it, even if they finished the season with four straight losses, I, I think it would it, it it would feel definitely a little different. But would they not kind of be back to where they were in 2020? They won't, they won't have the same expectations coming into next year. You wouldn't imagine. But 
it would feel like they're in a spot where you would think they could next year, no division, so they will have to end up finishing second overall in the ACC. But you would feel like they have a chance to do that, and you would feel that, hey, if they learn from some things that they did a year ago, they'll be in position to potentially you know, top a Clemson team that if they take another step back could be ripe for the picking. I think that's kind of where it's at right now. To me, I think it's really as simple, and this is this is something that does concern me about Mac Brown. I think Mac Brown is a – you've talked about it. He's a guy that knows how to build a program, knows how to inspire a program. He gets people invested, and it works extremely well both with the fan base that he's the coach of as well as the recruits. Part of the reason why people love Mac Brown so much is because Mac Brown is incredibly loyal. The question is, is he loyal to a fault? Because even last year, Stacey Searles was not going to be fired. He left for Georgia, and that allowed Jack McDowell Jr. to be hired to take his place. So, I mean, look, he got he let Jay Bateman go, but at the same time, when he let Jay Bateman go... He didn't let any of the other staff members go. He had Gene Chizik come in, but basically tried to get Gene Chizik to adjust to the staff members that were currently in place. And look, part of that is because Carolina has two alumni that are part of their defensive coaching staff, and I think it is important. He wants it to be important to keep football, former football players, a part of the staff. He has made that clear that he wants former players to be invested. But unfortunately, I don't think this is like basketball. It can't always be, hey, we got to have former players on the staff. I, there is, you know, look, there, there is a certain benefit that you get, especially on the recruiting trail, to having guys that played in Chapel Hill because they can tell guys about the experience. But I think he, he has been too loyal to this defensive coaching staff, and there will have to be changes made this offseason. I'm not saying that he's in the same exact spot as he was last offseason, but it feels like he is going to have to make some tough decisions again this offseason with this coaching staff in order to take a step forward again next year. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the thing. If if we come through, we get through December, we, we get into January, and we got the same staff intact, okay, we'll probably have to have some questions and really wonder about him moving forward. If he makes the right changes that he needs to make, mainly on the defensive side of the staff, bringing in some players via the portal defensively to, to up the talent and the depth, He's going to enter next year with a team that will be a preseason top 15 to 20 team. They'll be a trendy pick to to still make make the ACC title game. Drake May will have more Heisman buzz than Sam Howell did this time or 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 in the preseason of last season and you know, there will be a reason to be invested in Tar Heel football from September through November as opposed to September through 
October. And that's been the long problem really since he left the first time was that you could get invested in the first month of the season, but by October 15th, we were ready for basketball season. And while, look, we'll always be ready for basketball season. We're a basketball school. That's who we are. That's what we'll, that's, that's, that's what we do. Like today was in theory, in the moment, a lot of fun watching both teams play. And being invested in both teams' play. Now, both, I would like better results. Yeah, now, now, now both results suck, but I mean, there were there have been times where this has happened in the past where both teams were playing simultaneously, and you're not wasting your time watching Tar Heel football get its ass kicked. He's changed that. We want that to continue moving forward. And, and so, y- you know, look, uh, th- this has been a guy that I was very critical of all offseason. Very critical after the Notre Dame game by the way he handled getting embarrassed at home. But he still got us where I wanted to see this team get to. And so until you see a drop-off of significant magnitude, there's no reason to believe he's still not the right guy for Carolina football. Yeah, I I think, look, you and a lot of people are probably going to say that. Well, aren't you the two guys that were extremely critical of him after the Notre Dame game? I think his last two press conferences after losses have been really good, though. It's a guy that is clearly not happy with the results, and he's taken accountability for it. Where I thought in that first game... It was a lot of him talking about how great the opponent was, saying that we were still seeing progressions from this team. And look, I mean, I I think to a certain extent, it probably ended up being that way. It probably ended up looking like, you know, ultimately the, the defense took some steps forward from what they did in that game. But I think at the time, you were kind of asking yourself, are they really progressing? Are we really are, are we trying to spin it into that? Were these last two games, I think he's just told you, look, we're not happy with what happened. We had chances to win these games, and we simply have not executed. I, I think he's saying all the right things. And I think that as long as he makes the right moves in the offseason, I think Carolina fans should still be behind him and should still think that there are you know, good things that can happen for this program moving forward. Well, guys, we are going to have all the reaction to this loss to NC State on the website, HeelToughBlog.com. I'll have the recap of this game going up for you guys. It's going to be a tough one, but I'll have my takeaways from this loss to NC State, a second straight heartbreaking loss for the Tar Heels against the rival Wolfpack. And, of course, uh, we'll have all the other stuff for you guys. No Ashton's analysis this week, but we will have uh, everything else for you guys, including the trench report, stock report, uh, as well as uh, the – uh, the press conference takeaways, and you know, then we'll we'll get you ready for the ACC title game. A lot of steam has been taken out of that one, but look, it's, it's up to Mac Brown and his staff to get these guys motivated for that game. Because if they can get motivated, and they do find a way to win that game, they could still make it to a New Year's Six bowl game. There are still there's still a lot to play for for this team. And we'll have you covered on that front as well. And then, of course, have you covered for wherever Carolina goes for their bowl game to close out the 2022 season. Meanwhile, on the basketball side of things, we have you covered with the PK 
the the PKI, the Phil Knight Invitational, that is going on out in Portland this weekend. Uh, we have had wall-to-wall coverage there. Josh has had you covered on the website with uh, all the previews and recaps of those games. We also have been giving you guys uh, the coverage throughout on the podcasting side of things on the Four Corners podcast. So basketball is in full swing here during Feast Week. And then, of course, things do not get easier for Carolina Middle of next week, they take on Indiana in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And then, believe it or not, at the end of next week, Carolina plays a conference game. So, again, Carolina's schedule really starting to ramp up here in the 2022-23 season. And we have you covered all over the place on the website and on the podcasting side of things. And we'll also have you covered football-wise when the team gets into that early signing period. Carolina is going to host an official visit for three-star running back Jordan Louie. We have a an article on the website about that for you guys to read about. One of the under-the-radar targets for, the Carolina, for Carolina in the 2023 class. So make sure that you guys check out all of that and we will have you covered extensively around National Signing Day for this Tar Heel 2023 class. Well, that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Hey guys, Anthony here. We want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.